to another episode of Boardcast. I'm Marty Brightman, Policy and HR Services Specialist, and I'm here with Siobhan Snyder, our Policy Legal Services Director. Today, we're discussing some of the biggest policy changes brought on by the legislative session, including employee expression and weapons in the school district. These changes were included with the June 30th policy primer publication sent to IASB Policy Reference Manual subscribers. Okay, Siobhan, to get started, there were updates to policy 2061 and 2062, president and vice president. I know I was grateful to see these updates as I have received many questions from our members on this issue. IASB made this helpful update addressing when the board can elect their president, vice president in even numbered years. IASB requested this language to be clarified in Iowa law. Can you explain the impact for school boards? In the past, we've had two different sections of the Iowa Code that have a bit of an interplay. The first one says that during an annual meeting is when your school district closes your books on the preceding financial year. And that's supposed to take place sometime after August 31st and before your next organizational meeting. At the same time, there was a different section of the Iowa Code that said, oh, by the way, your board president is supposed to be elected at the annual meeting, and they serve a term of one year. Okay, no big deal. It certainly worked out fine when school elections took place in September. When the school elections changed from September to November, because those two sections of the code said, hey, during non-election years, your board president has to serve a one-year term and they have to be elected at the annual meeting, what that did was it dragged school districts annual meetings all the way to November in uh, non-election years because the board president had to serve a one-year term. With this most recent legislative cycle, we requested a little more flexibility so that school districts could close out their books before November each year. And the legislature granted that. So that's what these two policy changes reflect. Great. I'm sure all of our members will be very grateful for that change. Okay, the next update that we are featuring today is IASB Sample Policy 213, Public Participation in Board Meeting. The legislature added language in a new section of Chapter 279, giving citizens an additional pathway to have a requested item placed on the school board agenda. Can you give a brief explanation of what this process will entail and implications for school board meetings? Sure thing, Marty. So what the legislature allowed is there's a new chapter, it's 279.8b, subpart B of the Iowa Code, which allows for individuals who want to have a particular topic placed on the agenda for a board meeting, they can have a petition signed by eligible electors within their school district. You have to have at least 500 eligible electors or 10% of the voters in your last school election, whichever number is smaller for the petition to be valid. Once they present that to the board, board has to place the topic on the agenda of their next board meeting, their regular meeting, or of a special meeting that takes place within 30 days of receiving the petition. When that occurs, anybody who wishes from the public that wishes to speak on that topic is allowed to speak on the topic. You can't limit the total number of speakers. Um, you got to allow everybody to have an opportunity to be heard. Boards can place a reasonable time restriction if the topic has a bunch of interest and, you know, several hundred people to show up. Okay, it's reasonable to provide a time limitation for each speaker just in consideration of how long that's going to take. The board, although they do have to sit and listen to anybody who wants to speak, 
the board maintains discretion on whether or not to act on or deliberate on any of the comments uh, made during that speaking opportunity for the public. The next question I have for you, Siobhan, is pertaining to a new policy that you just published, 40114, employee expression. As I stated, this is a new policy and it is also a mandatory policy school districts need to adopt to address the First Amendment rights of employees and increase protections for employees. Can you give us some background on this law change and some examples of how this policy should be applied? Sure. This is a new policy that comes out of some of the requirements that we saw from the legislature in House File 744 this past session. And that is First Amendment protections for employees of school districts. And sort of getting at the heart of what they're trying to say is that employees do enjoy certain First Amendment protections, and those need to be honored in districts. And it also recognizes that if an employee is working within their ethical boundaries and requirements, and they work to protect a student who is exercising their First Amendment rights, then the employee shouldn't face any type of adverse employment action as a result of trying to protect that student. That's kind of the crux of what this is getting at. Now, the reason this is mandatory is because this required some changes to a couple different sections of the Iowa Code. And one of them said that boards need to adopt a written policy on this so that not just employees, but everyone in the district can be aware of these changes. So that's where this new policy came from. Okay, thank you, Siobhan. The next policy I wanted to ask you about is 5023, Student Expression and Student Publications. This is an update to two IASB existing policies prompted by changes by the legislature, but also to combine two subjects that are very closely linked. Can you tell us what legislative change prompted this and why districts would want to combine these policies into one? So this also comes from House File 744, that bill related to First Amendment protections. And so we talked about some of the employee side of it, that employees have First Amendment rights protections, but students do as well. And we previously had our policy 502.3, but it only related to one of these topics. And when we went back and we reviewed the law changes, we noted that in the Iowa Code, Chapter 280, Subsection 22, it really closely links both student expression and student publications. So by that, we mean like, you know, probably school newspaper would be an example of a student publication, but there are others. So it it linked those two topics together in that subsection of the code, and we're required to have some written guidance on this topic. So when we went back and looked at our policies, we said, you know, this is actually an opportunity to combine these two topics into one, which is why we went ahead and substantially revamped 502.3. And then we rescinded an old policy so that we could take two and make them into one and also bring them into compliance with the new legislative changes to protect First Amendment rights. Great. Thank you. Okay, this next one has to do with another new policy, 8046, Use of Recording Devices on School Property. This new policy provides an important distinction for districts regarding categories of recordings, those generated by the district and those not generated by the district. Can you tell us why these distinctions are important and why the districts utilizing recording devices on district property may wish to adopt this policy? Yeah, good question on that one. So this is an interesting topic because when you think about recording devices, sometimes you think security cameras, and then other times you might think a student's iPhone. There's just a wide variety of different types of recording devices. So what we wanted to do with this policy is distinguish 
where the school has a great deal of oversight authority, so that's in district generated recordings like security cameras, and where they don't have very much oversight authority, so someone's personal recording devices, in terms of what their legal obligations are. So when the district generates a recording, one of the things the district has to be aware of is whether or not that recording could constitute an education record for a student, and that has to be taken into account, which is why we have the first section on district-generated recordings, to give districts guidance so that they feel confident that they're operating within the requirements of the law but non-district generated recordings. So think of, you know, an enthusiastic community member who wants to take pictures of students at sporting events or something like that. We want to recognize that type of recording and also give districts guidance on what they can do with regard to regulating that and also acknowledge that it's it would be virtually impossible for school administrators to, you know, regulate every single recording device that's out there at any district event, sporting event or community event. So we wanted to give a little bit of grace, but also provide some good working guidance for schools and administrators. And there's a regulation that goes along with this new policy, and it was our prior transportation regulation related to recording devices on school buses. We've expanded it now so that it applies to all district-owned property, and we've moved it over to this regulation. All right. And this last policy is also a new policy, 905.3, Weapons in the School District. This was a hot button topic during the legislative session, and many districts are very concerned about the implications of the law decriminalizing carrying firearms on school district grounds in certain circumstances. Can you tell us what options school districts have with regard to this new law and how this optional policy may be utilized? Yes, and I want to highlight one thing that you said there towards the end, Marty, which is that this is an optional policy. So House File 756 was our firearms omnibus bill this past legislative session, and it passed. And what it did was it decriminalized carrying firearms on school grounds in certain circumstances. Um, It wasn't a blanket decriminalization, but it did make it no longer a misdemeanor in certain circumstances and for particular individuals. So with that said, the bill decriminalized it. What it did not say is that school districts are required to allow firearms to be present on campus in all circumstances. And that's an important distinction. So what this optional policy does is it takes a topic like firearms And it compares it very similar to like, say, tobacco on school grounds and says, hey, you know, this may not be a crime for certain people to carry a firearm on our campus, but we have a really substantial health and safety interest in safeguarding our school communities. So therefore, we're going to go ahead and prohibit it, except in limited circumstances that are specifically outlined in the policy. Now, again, I want to reiterate, this policy is optional. So it should be adapted to what the needs of your community are. I know um, we have many districts out there who have really great programs and activities like, you know, shooting sports activities or hunter education courses that are offered on campus. And of course, you'd want to make sure that you have a policy that reflects the needs and the wishes of your community, which this policy does try to provide some flexibility. But that's why we crafted this was to give districts a little more authority to say, we're going to make the decision for our community whether or not we want to welcome these on campus and in what circumstances. Thank you, Siobhan. This was great information. Thank you for sharing this background and your insights with us. This concludes this broadcast episode. 
Thanks for listening and be sure to reach out if you have any questions regarding these policy updates. Staff contact information can be found on our website via the About tab at the top of our homepage.